Lord God, open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to what you would say to us through your scripture today. Let us learn to conduct ourselves in a manner that's not only worthy, but full of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take a seat. Last week, uh, just about a week ago, a little earlier than this, I woke up thinking about that grand worship service that we were going to have. It was going to be a special service coming forward for communion and having these slips of paper where we could write our burdens down and then lay them at the foot of the cross in the pots and let them go and let God do something new in our lives. And as I was getting ready for a church, I was thinking, okay, which burden am I going to pick? I got a, I've got a lot of burdens. And they were floating through my mind, and I just couldn't decide which one it should be. And I was praying for all the details of the service, and, you know, I was kind of scrambling around. This reminded me of a story that I've heard about a missionary. The missionary was driving along, and he saw a woman walking by with one of those baskets on her head, and the basket was full of uh, perhaps things she'd bought at the market, perhaps her clean laundry, but it was a burden that she was carrying on her head. And he pulled his Jeep over, and he said, Would you like a ride? And she said, Yes. And she sat down in an elegant fashion, and they drove off, and he realized the basket was still on her head. So he turned to her and said... Would you like to put your basket down on the car seat? And she said, oh, no, I couldn't ask that of you. You are giving me a ride. You don't need to also give my basket a ride. (laughs) It occurred to me that that's sort of how I was treating Jesus and my burdens. I was sort of saying, okay, there's just, I got to pick the right one and put it down on the slip of paper. God wants to take all of our burdens. Even this week, if you thought of a new one, you could lay it down. We're not going to have the pots, but you could go ahead and lay it down. Perhaps you are like I am, that you laid that burden down last week, and many of you mentioned what a holy time that was together, and indeed it was. But I found myself, as the week went on, noticing that I hadn't suddenly changed. While I had laid the burden down, the new behavior that I long for, to be free of the worries and sort of free of the scrambling, free of thinking it's all up to me, that hadn't happened yet. The other evening, my husband and I were having dinner, and we noticed our dog, who is also a carnivore. He would like to eat his dinner and our dinner, and sometimes he just would sit there with those longing eyes, so we've learned to move him away from the dinner table. And we do this by hooking a leash onto him and then hooking the end of the leash onto a bench so that he's at a good distance from the table. Well, we looked over, and he's kind of a big dog with long legs, and there he was, just strewn out on the, on the carpet, and his uh, leash... His collar was dangling down, and you could see the empty ring. And about a foot away was the end of the leash, just laying there on the carpet. He didn't know he was free. He thought he was still hooked up. Sometimes we're that way. God has already cut the chain that binds us, but we don't realize it. We're not living in to that new freedom. Today's scripture invites us to take another step to release ourselves, to trust God more, this time not with a particular burden, but with our circumstances. Let's put this scripture in context. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. He wrote it while he was in prison or at least under house arrest. He was confined. And the options that confronted him were either release or execution. These were pretty uh, different dynamics. 
And he's receiving a gift from the Philippian church, and he's writing back to them. It's a church that he loves. And he's saying to them, I long to be with you. In fact, in every remembrance of you, I thank my God for you. Whether I live or whether I die, know that the gospel is true. Whatever happens, whatever happens to me, he's saying, whatever happens to you, conduct your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Don't let my incarceration, don't let my circumstance prohibit you from trusting God. In fact, trust God all the more. It's the Apostle Paul who wrote the word rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. It was sung so well today. That's the man who says, whatever happens, detach yourself from your circumstances and attach yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's not get so caught up in the particulars of our lives. And there are going to be some slides that you will not see. But if you are in the narthex, you might be seeing these. Or if you come at 9.45 and 6. We get caught up in the particulars of our circumstance. What we eat, what we wear, the size of our house, the mood of our spouse, our children, their grades, their teeth, their health, our health. Our parents and grandparents, teeth and health, all these things came up in my week, last week. We get stuck in the details of life, and it's tremendously difficult to remember that there is a big picture. There are some of us here today who are suffering, perhaps with a debilitating health concern, perhaps with mounting financial worries or disappointments in a relationship, and we wonder, where is God in the midst of this? Paul says, God is right there with you, right in the midst of your lousy circumstances. Oswald Chambers wrote a great devotional book, and he says it this way, Realize that the Lord is here now. The freedom that you receive is immediate. God wants to set us free right now, in the here and now, right in the midst of our circumstances. Whether you're living in a circumstance that's your worst-case scenario, Scott Dudley and I share that trait of having worries, and when we worry, we think to ourselves, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen, and can I live with that? I would like to suggest that today what God is inviting us to is thinking, okay, in the middle of this circumstance, what's the most amazing thing that could happen? What could God do that would be abundantly, immeasurably more than we could even ask or imagine? The French Impressionist painter, Georges Seurat, um, used a technique that I want to use to illustrate this idea. It was called pointillism, and the picture that's um, depicted at the end of the gallery on the front of your bulletin is called uh, Sunday Afternoon at La Grande Jatte. And La Grande Jatte is a place, it's a big picture of a picnic, basically, and there's a little lake, and there's people, all different kinds of people. They think perhaps Seurat was making a comment on uh, the French society and the changes that needed to happen. I'm just going to talk about the techniques that he used and this amazing picture. The technique was called pointillism. And he, instead of just mixing the paint and brushing broad strokes, he took little dabs of color. And he studied that color uh, shimmers and kind of stands out even more if you put it side by side. So he used over 4 million brush strokes to paint this picture, dot by dot. It took him over four years. Um, our lives are that way. 
We live moment by moment. And we don't know how it's all going to fit together. We don't know if the piece of our life that we're painting right now is the foundation or the top or the end or the middle. We just live it side by side. The Apostle Paul is saying, detach yourself from the immediate circumstance. Take your life in a bigger context. The bigger, uh, the picture, the grand shot, is actually six feet tall, um, a little bit over six feet by ten feet wide. And when Surratt first showed it, it went around on display, and he looked to see how people were reacting to the picture. He wasn't entirely pleased with their reaction, and he began to wonder, well, why isn't this displaying the way I thought it would? He'd done hundreds of little sketches and little pieces of paintings that all came together on Le Grand Jot, and he thought it was his, his life work, his masterpiece. So he decided that it was framed improperly. It really wasn't setting off to its best advantage. So he took the whole thing, this huge picture, off of its wooden frame, and he stretched that canvas another six inches all the way around and painted his own frame with little white and purple dots so that the color would stand out even more. Psychologists call this tool reframing. It's, it's taking something and, and looking at it differently. I had that situation in my own life. I was a student at Princeton Seminary, and I was single, and Easter was coming, and before Easter came Good Friday. And as we were approaching the holiday, it's one of my favorite holidays, I found myself feeling blue because I love Easter. I love everything about Easter. Christmas is great. God had to be born as a little baby, but if he did not rise from the dead, we wouldn't all be sitting here. The power of Easter Sunday has always been my great joy. And my whole extended family loves to celebrate Easter. As a kid, there were gifts, there was worship, there were chocolate eggs, there were those sugar eggs that you could look into, kind of like the empty tomb, and maybe there'd be a little scene in there. And as Good Friday came, I found myself just sort of stuck in Good Friday. Not a good place to be. And I began to think, how am I ever going to celebrate Easter? I just don't feel like celebrating Easter. I just feel so sad. My family's all in California, and I'm in New Jersey. Easter's not going to be Easter. And I was praying about it and sort of confessing to God, you know, if you could rise from the dead, how come you couldn't get me home for Easter? And it was as if the Spirit of God spoke a new perspective into my life. Kind of said, hey, lift up your eyes. Look around you. There are people here at Princeton Seminary whose families are persecuted. They represent martyrs. And they're here to study who God is and to become preachers and professors of a Christian faith. They haven't been with their family for a few years Maybe they've had to say goodbye to their family altogether until we meet in heaven. And you are stuck in your own little pity party. Hey, get out of yourself. There's a bigger picture going on here. And then it's like God gave me a little inspiration. Well, if I am not stuck in my own little pity party, I could extend myself to other people. And so I got this idea of what would those international students need? What would be a comfort to them? Well, maybe a little surprise on Easter morning. So I went and got all these hyacinth plants. Those are the ones where the stalk comes up and all the little flowers come around the stalk and they smell divine, no pun intended. 
And I made all these Easter cards because I didn't have any money to buy Easter cards, you know, tacky little cards. And I anonymously said, Happy Easter. And I, in the middle of the night, the night before Easter, went around to all the dorm rooms of the international students and I put these little hyacinth plants out so that when they came out, there would be something that just kind of gave them a good morning, Easter morning. Then I realized I wouldn't know how they were responding unless I kind of prowled the halls on Easter morning. So now when I went to bed on Saturday night, I could sort of hardly wait until Easter morning. And I got to walk around these halls and I saw people going, and it was the wonder of it. It was like God pulled me out of my own dark spot and gave me a new perspective. It's really not about me and not about my particular circumstances. It's about the benefits of Christ, the joy of Easter. John Calvin, the Reformed theologian, talks about the gospel, the benefits of Christ, this way. Christ came, provided with the Spirit, that he might separate us from the world and unite us in the hope of an eternal inheritance. That's the hope. There's a hope that does not disappoint. And it's not up to us to create it. It's given by Jesus Christ. He came not only with the power to overcome death, but he left us this spirit that we might have that same perspective. Calvin again. Hence the spirit is called the spirit of sanctification because he quickens and cherishes us. Not merely by the general energy seen in the human race. That's what I'm often praying for. A little more general energy seen in the human race. But because Jesus is the seed and root of heavenly life in us. Jesus brings us this spirit of heavenly life, and he plants it in us, and he roots it in us, that it might grow, that we might be living out a taste of eternity. Could we take on that perspective, that the seed and root of heavenly life is at work in us? Later, Calvin describes the spirit as the hand by which God exerts his power. Because by his divine inspiration, he so breathes divine life into us that we are no longer acted upon by ourselves. It's not just our own will, but we're ruled by his motion and energy. So that everything good that we do is the fruit of his grace. Paul says, whatever happens, whatever circumstances you're in, God is there. The root of eternity is there right with you, giving you power to conduct your life in a manner way beyond yourself. Conduct yourselves. I love the word conduct. I love watching conductors. Scott and Dr. Mary. This morning I got to see Dr. Mary from up front. And um, first of all, I saw her do this thing where she wanted more of something. She was like doing, I don't know which direction it went, but it was like a, it was like a twirling, you know, cyclone-y thing. And then <laughs> today she, just now I saw her do this thing where it was like the whole thing, all of you, do it, do it, do it. The conductor brings unity of purpose to the group. To have your eye on the conductor. It's like to, to do what the conductor is calling for. That's what God is asking of our lives. And you know what we do instead? We get so busy thinking, I don't like my part. 
I don't like the part I've been given. I used to play the oboe. It's a hard instrument. Bless you if it's your instrument. I would sometimes think to myself, why do I have this double reed instrument? It's so tricky. And then I'd listen to someone with like a beautiful French horn solo and it would just sing out. Or Then I would uh, imagine the, the guy who stood there at the string bass. You know, it's such a noble, large instrument. You could just stand there and behind the string bass. Or the timpani, they don't have to work that hard, you know, just occasionally. <laughs> we spend a lot of time wishing that our circumstances were different. If only I had that other life to live, I could live life in a manner worthy of the gospel. Friends, we've got this life. It's in your circumstances that God is saying, conduct yourself. Bring out that part of yourself that is what God wants to do through you. You have a unique story to live. We're each called to play out our own life freely, not wishing for another one. Admittedly, it's a daunting task. When I shared with someone earlier this week what the scripture was, he said, I cannot even conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel as I walk from the narthex to the entrance of the sanctuary. But God can do that. God can do that in us. The gospel brings us this new perspective, this reframing. It's not just our own little life that we're living. It's a part of eternity. The gospel brings us a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel brings a new unity to our lives. We have a purpose. And when this good news of the gospel is present, people are set free. The Spirit of the Lord is in our midst, moving. Last week I heard a great preacher say, the Lion of Judah is on the move and is not going to leave you stuck in a sea of disconnected dots and circumstance. When the Spirit of God is on the move, I heard Scott Dudley say it so well, people ask to hear it again. Here's what happens. Sleepy people, wake up. Lukewarm people, warm up. Dishonest people, fess up. Angry people, make up. Down and out people, move up. Gossipers, shut up. Enslaved people, free up. Soldiers for Christ, Stand up. Friends, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And may God make it so. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we ask that you would take the moments of our lives, the dark ones and the bright ones, that you would take these particular lives that we are living, even today as we leave this place, on the way home, as we drive, as we go about our day and our week, Turn us toward you that we may take the next steps of freedom. Lord God, so fill us with your Holy Spirit that there is a root and a growth of heavenly life in us. Let your Spirit so act upon us that others would come to know you by the way that we live. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.